Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast. I'm Dr. Jim Hoven, and it is my absolute pleasure to meet cool, interesting, phenomenal, fantastic people that are making a difference in the lives of people around them and in the cases of our guests today, people or animals all around the world. Now, I know if you're listening to this, if you're like me, you are a huge animal fan and animals like people sometimes need some help. They need some assistance. And today I have the honor and distinct pleasure of meeting and visiting with Nan Stewart, who is the um, the founder and the basically a great spokesperson for an amazing company and an amazing group called Code Three Associates. We're going to get into that, but first of all, Nan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I'll tell you, you and I were visiting for a few minutes here before we got a chance to do the show and and start it live and. I'm telling you, you and I could talk for so long because you have so many incredible interests in the things that you're into and the things you've seen and done. I am blown away. So I'm going to try to keep this to one topic. So you can steer me back in, okay? If, if I start going too wide, you, you just do the job of steering me back in. Will do. But starting out, tell us what Code 3 Associates is. Code 3 Associates is a company that uh, we started back in uh, 80, 85, actually, when I started teaching. Um, in my profession of being an animal control officer, and I was also a California State Humane Officer, I handled animal crimes. And there was no training. They gave you uh, keys to a set of, uh, set of keys to a pickup truck that was top heavy and had limited vision and gave you a ticket book and said, go forth and write tickets. <laughs> That and was your job, right? Tickets. That was my job. Okay. To catch dogs, write tickets, pick up dead animals, and anything else is assigned. And I had a supervisor who was a former Oakland motorcycle sergeant, decorated by President Ke- Kennedy. And he was—he believed his fledglings should not be shoved out of the nest without some training. And thanks to him, I had a great start. But I also realized that nobody else was getting that kind of training. So I started, I started in 81 and I started teaching in, in 80, actually 83. And then I started, went to as many academies as I could go to, to get an idea of how the law worked and what I was responsible for. I had a lot of animal background, which is why they did the, the place that I worked didn't let me out the door for 14 years. So they didn't, they'd never had people with animal background. Right. And so, so what... It sounds to me like you, at least in part with the training that you received, almost single-handedly changed the definition of an animal control officer from what you started with of write tickets, pick up dead animals, and and move on with your life to something different and certainly something different from what it is right now. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. Um, Actually, when I would travel someplace, uh, you have conversations with people on an airplane that you normally wouldn't have with another human being sitting that close to you. But people would ask me what I do, and I actually made up jobs because <laughs> it was hard to explain what an animal control slash state humane officer was. Um, we didn't have Animal Planet at that time. Uh, as much as we joke about it in our profession, Animal Planet helped to explain to other people what we do for a living. And most people... Um, who are involved in criminal activity, many of them start on an animal. In other words, it's the, it's the gateway to human problems is they either so. abuse animals, sell or trade animals, traffic them, something like that. Is that what that means? Yeah. Uh, domestic, domestic violence starts with animals. Oh, all the time. I didn't think of that. 
Okay. And, and then there's, you know, all kinds of different things. But the, the person who comes home had a bad day at work, um, they may throw the, the cat or the puppy against the wall, and they have control over their family um, by saying, you're next. You know, so children are, we deal with, we dealt with children, we dealt with spouses, we dealt with, and it's male and female. So Mm. um, it, you have to learn a lot more about that side of it. It's dealing with animals. It's really not an animal job. It's a people job. And we deal with the same people that the police deal with. We just deal with them first. Wow. You know, that when you said about puppies and kittens getting thrown against walls or I picture dogs getting kicked. It literally sends a gut, mm-hmm. um, a gut sensation for me because I'm a huge animal lover. But it's I so much fun it. to put them in jail. <laughs> there's a satisfaction. There's there. a satisfaction there. Yep. And so with, um, when we look at code three, is, is that a big part of code three as well as rescuing animals or yes. how does it divide out? It, it divides out. We have two, basically two factions in that we have uh, we teach the animal control officers, anybody who deals with animal crimes, be it be a, a veterinarian, a police officer, a deputy sheriff, um, a division of wildlife, um, you name it, uh, and as well as the local ACOs, animal control officers, um, we teach them and they come to our academies. They're, we have uh, a lot of different classes, but our core classes are the essential animal services training which is, there are three levels, each is 40 hours, um, module A, B, and C. When they complete that, they are now a certified animal cruelty investigator. So they've had the proper training, so they can go and do, and it, it does hold up in court quite well. The other side is the disaster response. We have a national animal disaster response team, and we have volunteers all over the country. So when a disaster happens we are normally put on a call on call and we may be deployed we may not we don't self-deploy we have to be asked to come in and uh, we've done we have an 82 foot tractor trailer that my partner and i designed back in 90 well it started in 94 and that responds to our to our disasters. It's no matter where it is in the country, that thing will get towed over there. Well, it's driven over there. It, uh, um, it sleeps anywhere from six in, in the front part of the trailer or front part of the semi, and then it can sleep as many as you can fit in the back wow. if you put cots. And we've, we've had whole fire crews stay in there. Um, but we respond to fires and floods and hurricanes and you name it. Wow. You know, I was looking through the website and I saw pictures of some, and I don't know if these would be considered volunteers or ACOs or who this would be, but it showed pictures of these folks in boats of, I would imagine a flood or hurricane mm-hmm. of some sort with dogs in kennels that they were, they had rescued. So you'd mentioned earth, uh, floods, fires, I would assume earthquakes, things yep. of that nature. And is it mostly for house animals or is there also for farm animals how, how does it work we do livestock we do um we save it used to be from mice to elephants but we've now included hissing cockroaches who <laughs> tell were, me about hissing cockroaches they were they were actually a uh, a school mascot down in texas in a flood okay and they were breeding these 
um, as a, a project for the school. And they requested that we go back and get the hissing cockroaches, which we did. So <laughs> Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Um, we bring out whatever is there, whether it be snakes or uh, guinea pigs or uh, exotic animals. Um, there's all kinds. You never know what you're going to find. And do you ever get called to a specific incident as opposed to an emergency? So let's say, a, I don't know, a, a cattle farm catches on fire. So it's one place. It's not a region. It's not a city. Right. Would you get called to an event like that as much as a larger Normally scale the event? local people would get called for that if, they, if somebody needs help. But we are working on a project to um, incorporate communities so that they are ready for disasters. Wow. So that they've thought about it ahead of time. Okay, tell me more about that. Who's the community? Who's the members of the community? What's the training? Well, communities normally have an a, a emergency uh, crew that um, when things, I'm struggling to find the word, but the, the, um, when something happens, mm -hmm. they will declare the disaster, whether it's just in a town or whatever, and now the, they go to the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center, and they'll, they'll open that and say, okay, we, all the people are gonna come in. If you need to cut the power in a grid, you gotta have somebody from the power company there who can say, wait, we can cut the power here, but remember, we got two hospitals over here, and we can't cut that power. It's all, they all come to the table. Well, we're part of the table because um, years and years ago with Hurricane Andrew, <clears throat> they said, we don't really have an animal problem. Well, there are more animals in Florida than there are humans. And when they started having dead animals along the road, it became a health hazard. Yes. And they realized they had an animal problem. So it has evolved. Okay. And, and are you guys funded by, I mean, when I hear you say things like, um, you know, Florida and you go everywhere, are you funded like, um, FEMA or something? Do you no. So it's all private. We, we respond through the generous donations from people. We may recover some fees, um, uh, things like fuel. We have uh, agencies, that foundations that give us grants, um, and it, it's applied to the disasters. But we respond at no charge for the first, for the first week at least. Wow. And can you give a couple of stories of just amazing or heroic or unbelievable rescues that you guys have made over, well, over the years? Well, some of them are so comical, and some of them, I would not wish a disaster on anybody. Of course. But when you've had a, a town evacuated by fire, um, and I was, we were, we were in the, uh, the area of Calaveras County. Uh, I was looking for frogs because it is the frog jumping capital of the world. <laughs> I did not see one frog the whole time. I was very distressed. But we were going through a town, and there was a golden retriever going down the street. Well, of course, I have golden retrievers, so they're very easy to catch. They just want to be with people. And I asked the, the, the handsome dog, I said, where do you live? And he turned and looked at his house. They're dead giveaways. So I went to the house, I knocked on the door. Now this town has been evacuated. There is no one there. And this young lady answers the door and she, I said, is this yours? And I pointed at the dog. She goes, oh yeah, I just let him out to go to the bathroom. And I said, you do know your town is evacuated. And she said, and I quote, I thought it was very quiet around <laughs> here. <laughs> what? She had no clue. And I said, you do realize there is fire everywhere. 
and I, and I could see through her house and there was fire out in her backyard. And I said, please put on your coat and come with me. So I took her and the dog and we evacuated her. But she had no clue there was a fire there. That <laughs> How is... do you miss something that's been on the news and is covered? Wow. She was, she was clueless. And what about a large animal story? Something about a horse or something we like that? We went to get some horses. We were given uh, directions of where the horse was. And we went there. Of course, it was late in the evening. The field is um, dried star thistle and weeds. And so, and, but it's very dry. And there are live embers falling everywhere. And we spotted the horse, and the horse had a donkey with it. Now, most donkeys are attack, attached to the horse. Unfortunately, in this case, the horse was attached to the donkey. And when the donkey took off, the horse wanted to take off. But I already had the horse. Oh, and no. Did you get pulled around? She, she is spinning around. It just kept her moving in a circle. And I said, my other team members, I said, you guys have 10 minutes. If you don't catch the donkey in 10 minutes, cut the fence, and we're leaving with the live horse. And so we left, and this is before we all had cell phones. Um, we got into town, and we placed, went to a phone booth and made a phone call. And at that point, we learned that we were accused of stealing the horse because it was the wrong horse. <laughs> oh, no. But the field burned, and the donkey was saved, and the horse was saved, and the man was much happier. Then happy. Yes. Wow. What a crazy, crazy story. What a crazy life that you've chosen. How did you get here to, to go from, you know, growing up, doing whatever you were doing, and then decide animals, that's where I, I oh, want to send my passion. Horsey was my second word. Daddy was my first. My mother was not pleased. <laughs> she said I would grow out of it, and my father just shook his head. I've been involved in animals ever since I can remember. Did you grow up in a, on a ranch kind of environment? I, we moved to a ranch in the 60s, uh, early 60s, and I was in seventh heaven because I had a horse. And, of course, dogs and whatnot. So I've been around animals all my life. And did you go to college for training in the ACO thing, or where did that come from? Um, I actually I managed a, a boarding and breeding kennel for a while. I worked on some different ranches, uh, small farms in the Half Moon Bay area, and uh, just kept gaining more knowledge, trying to figure out which direction I was going in. I wanted to go to vet school, but I wasn't a good student, so I was more, I didn't want to waste the time going to vet school, and I'm, I'm actually glad I didn't, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because now you work with some of the brightest vet minds I do. on the planet, and so I want to go into that. I know that Code 3 Associates, as part of their, their rescue approaches, you guys want to learn how to do all that stuff better, but you're connected really in depth with the CSU vet school, right? Very much so. They're, um, I call them my teachers. I'm constantly learning. And if I can help learn more about cancer, learn more about the animals, um, we actually have taught some classes up there for them. Uh, that to me is if I'd like to see cancer wiped off the face of the earth, as would everybody else. Yes. You know, it used to be you could ask people and how many of you have been affected by cancer? And there'd be one or two out of a class of 30 students, maybe one or two hands. Now it's all of them. Um, anybody over the age of three who knows what cancer is has been touched by it. Yes. Um, and that's sad. So when you partner up with CSU, what does, what does the vet school do as far as Code 3 Associates? How do they interact with you guys? Well, One Cure, which came out of Colorado State, 
uh, it's based there. That's where it started. Um, my thought was, I asked myself the question, what can I do to help? And I thought, I have some really great contacts in a lot of places. I happen to be in <laughs> involved in NASCAR racing and IndyCar racing. Wait, time out. Okay. <laughs> How are you involved in NASCAR and Indy racing? Because that's not the animal world. That's the. It isn't, but it's watched on national television every week. Uh, absolutely. And I had the great fortune to meet with uh, Tony Stewart from Stewart Haas Racing. And he's very animal oriented. And, you know, in talking to some of the, uh, the gentlemen that I first met with, from Stuart Haas Racing, he said, what do you want out of this? And I said, I would like to get a Code 3 logo somewhere on the car in a race where it doesn't get repeatedly hit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it snowballed from there. Okay. And Tony is a good friend of mine. Uh, we've just had some great times together. We've done some stuff with him. And he must be an animal lover, obviously, oh, if he's allowing time, you to put... big time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, I've been to, I've stayed at his house. Um, we do some stuff together. I talk to him frequently, and and he's just a, a wonderful person. And that led me to another gentleman who introduced me to some IndyCar people, Bobby Rahal. We partner with, with Rahal Lanigan, Letterman, excuse me, Letterman Lanigan. Uh, I've had some interesting conversations with David Letterman. Um, and we're planning to go fishing together. Good for you. Well, <laughs> I love to fish. So if you need a third, cause I would love to hear the conversation that goes on there. You just oh, call me and let Letterman me know. Letterman is, is, he's an interesting character, but, uh, he loves his dogs and brought them, had a chance to bring, uh, Bobby Rahal, Letterman, Lanigan, uh, Tony Stewart, uh, and many other people to CSU to see what goes on there. Wow. And they all go out and say, you're right. This is a different place. A different place. A wonderful place. place. You know, I went to CSU and I studied um, pre-med there to go to chiropractic school. And my roommate, so I had two roommates. One was pre-med and he went to be an ER doc. And then the Mm -hmm. other was pre-vet and ended up going through CSU's veterinarian school. Mm -hmm. And so I'm aware of the the, um, amazing qualities of that program. It's one of the best in the country. And for you to align there, that is amazing. And I learn something new every day. I'm sure. And and so when you're going up there, you said you were teaching or through Code Three, you teach the vet students some things, and then they mm-hmm. they in turn teach. Do they teach the volunteers for Code Three some things as well? Or not what? so much. Our volunteers are more hands on, so they need to know animal behavior, animal handling, um, what to do, and you know how do you get a horse out that's in water. You do not put little wings around the tops of their legs because they have a tendency to invert. And <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that was done, not by us, but it has been done. Those um, little water wing kind of things? Or? Yeah. Okay. What they did is they put the water wings around the tops of their legs. Yeah. Okay. Their upper hoping body is float. so much. Yeah, hoping they'd float, but their upper body is so much heavier. Yes. They just inverted and drowned. Oh, They only did it on one horse. Goodness. Wow. But we're trying to design... Uh, we're working on the R&D part of designing something that will help these animals, uh, especially when they're in cold water. Um, it doesn't matter how cold it is. They, the longer they're in water, the more hypothermic they become. Yes. So can we get something that will float these animals if you have to lead them out? Um, we, at the last flood that, that we attended, uh, they actually took the horses and found a 
a front porch that was fairly big, and they led the horses up the steps onto the front porch out of the water. And horses are not big fan of steps, true? No, they'll go up steps. They don't like to go down steps. Okay. Cows will go up steps, not down steps. Interesting. So, well, when when you're talking about these different kinds of circumstances, I think it, I saw on the website you talk about swift water training, mm-hmm. uh, removing animals from that environment, and removing animals from a fire torn environment. Are there other common um, environments that you have to train the people to act differently? to remove an animal than than others? No, they have to have the skills to, you can't just get in a boat and go out and rescue a horse. You have to understand the boat, you have to understand the water. You have to be able to read the water. Um, if you've got swift wa- water versus um, stagnant still water, uh, flooding, a lot of flooding is, is fairly um, calm water because it's flooded, the, the, the water's moved on but the whole front yard is flooded. Yes. the whole field or whatever. Then you have swift water, so you've got to have the right boats for that, and the people have to have the proper training for mm-hmm. their own safety. They have to have the right um, protective equipment, um, personal protective equipment. They need to be wearing helmets, um, life jackets, otherwise known as a PFD. Um, they, have to, they have to have all that training. We train to the human standard, okay. not to an animal standard. Yes. And in Katrina, we spent several months there. We were in charge of water operations in the city of New Orleans. So when they went to get animals, um, the people said, no, 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 we're not leaving. And, and our people said, no, we're not here for you. We're here for your animal. Oh, well, if you're taking the animal, can we go with you? <laughs> and, and what's then, the answer? And then the answer was yes. Okay. We evacuated people. We went to a flood. We were requested to help at a flood in South Dakota. And when our people got there, um, they discovered that the local fire department had no training in swift water, had no boat, and had no PFDs. When the they, fire department? The fire department. It was a little tiny fire department. And they really weren't trained for that, so they retasked us to human, res- human rescue. Oh my gosh. You, you know, speaking of that, I was looking through something and I have a son in law enforcement. And, um, one of the things that we worked with was work with a company to help get law enforcement, some, um, protective gear, mm-hmm. right. Specifically bulletproof vests. Right. And I noticed on the website that you make mention of the fact that a lot of these animal rescuers, and I don't know if these are more the ACOs, they're more the ACOs, but they go into harm's way yes. where they potentially could have a, a human interaction. And so that point, and I never thought about this, that they need to be suited up with protective gear. And because they're not armed, um, like the police are, they don't have a gun. They might have a, a collapsible baton or possibly some spray, but they're not armed. So they are just as much in danger, if not more, because they've normally dealt with the people before the police ever do. Yes. So we have a program ongoing now with our ACO coalition, um, where we do a drawing every month for a vest. And we're looking for more sponsors for to buy the vests and, uh, you know, hoping to outfit a whole lot more of these officers. Wow. And do you work with ACO officers? Here's what I wasn't necessarily understanding. Do you guys have the ACO officers within Code 3, or you support ACO officers from this county, this city? We support, well... The ACO, Co- ACO Coalition um, 
the officers sign up. There's no charge. And as a result of being a member of the coalition, they get um, uh, a percentage off on their training so they can get a $50 reduction in, in a class that costs $500 or $550. Um, they save 50 bucks. Um, they also get a chance to put in for the drawing for the, the vest and for other things such as masks and, and whatnot, all sorts of stuff that we're trying to provide to them to get them to join the coalition, um, and they're all over the country. Wow. They had uh, about 250 members within less than a week of just advertising this. Wow. And it is taking, it's taking on a life of its own. Yeah, because you guys are providing training to these folks, right? Yeah, we provide the training, and it's not free, but... And there's also some, uh, they're doing some podcasts called Lunch and Learn, um, where they can go for, you know, an hour and, and sit in through a podcast or get some training online. Um, some of the training, most of our training is done with uh, butts in the chair, so to speak, because we as adults learn by doing. So you can teach somebody, you can, you can lecture on how to tie a knot, for example. And you can show them all the pictures, but until you hand them the piece of rope and they tie it themselves, they haven't learned. Whole it different yet. experience. Yeah. Yes. So when you're doing the ACO officer training, are all of these people that come in for the training, like let's say, you know, I'm just a guy that I was not in that part of the world. If I wanted to volunteer or take the course, can I do that? Or mm -hmm. is it something that you have to be an ACO at some no, level? No, we have to a lot of, in? we have an, a, a large number of people who, um, have been on the job for years and years, as much as sometimes as, as little as a month um, and as long as 30-plus uh, years in the business. Uh, and they feel they can learn something new every day. Uh, the nice thing is within that group of people, um, they, all, they can come from anywhere. We also get some people who are what we call pre-service. They would like to get a job in an animal control field. They want to, whether they want to work at a shelter or be an officer on the street. We have people from law enforcement who, they're, they want to get out of law enforcement, but they really like the surrounding edge of it, and they've got the skills to be an animal control officer. You know, it's, they've worked around animals, but they've, they've been around animals, but they've worked in law enforcement, so they know that part have a lot that come down from law enforcement. Okay. And you talk about a, a pathway career or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, career pathway on the website. Is that kind of what you're talking about through that side? Or is mm -hmm. there something on the other side as well? Cause I know you look volunteers and potentially move volunteers into paid folks for some, most of our volunteers stay volunteers. They okay. may become team leaders, but they stay volunteers because they may work for another agency. Uh, they, they may work for an animal control agency in Kansas City, and their their agency has said, yes, you can go when you are called. And so it's a nice nice way to do things because disasters don't happen all the time every right. day. Right, and you don't they go... they are getting more frequent. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. Yeah. But um, how many people are on the team total for the Code 3 Oh, gosh, I don't team? know. I don't okay. know how many volunteers they have. We only have... Um, we actually have two paid employees. I'm not one of them. Um, <laughs> You're the owner. You never are. <laughs> I'm a volunteer. <laughs> and then we have um, one, two, three, four, five, six, I think seven contract, uh, private contractors who teach for us and who are team leaders. 
and who move the truck around and they do outside stuff as well. Okay. So, and when, do you ever look for volunteers? For example, my wife has been on the Salvation Army volunteer team for helping people with grief and loss following one of these same things. So whether it was the floods that we had several years ago or some of the more recent fires, they would call out to their, their volunteers who had gotten a certification in something. Exactly. And then they would come up to that. Do you guys have a lot of that yes, as we well? Yes, have, we have people who... Uh, want to become involved and they find out what it takes and depending on what their expertise is um, you know they may want to take a swift water class they may want to take a fire class so they can't go to a fire if they haven't had the fire training um, they can't get in the water if they haven't had the water training and so they'll come and take our classes and then they sign up to be a volunteer so we get a lot of people who really want to come and and play, so to speak. Absolutely. Do they come from all over the country, Nan, yep. where they would train and then they would get certified and then go back to their own place and then either serve a disaster that might happen there or fly out to join? Absolutely. If we, we're located here in, in Colorado, but um, obviously Florida is a hotbed of hurricanes and whatnot, we'll have local people respond first and they'll, they'll go do in and do an assessment to see if we're needed. Um, Norman, Oklahoma seems to be the, the high point of being hit by tornadoes. We've spent more time in, in Norman and around that area of Oklahoma City um, with volunteers that are local. The nice thing is they can come in. If they're not affected by the disaster, then they can come and play. If they're, we certainly don't want to drag somebody out who's just lost their home because right. they have their family to deal with. Right. Um, we normally bring resources from out of the area and because of the semi that we use, we don't want to re deplete any resources. We want to bring, re we're capable of being there for two weeks without having to restock. Goodness, that's so. amazing. And what about the animals that you get? Are they, um, so I assume you, you see if they're chipped or tagged or something to try to mm -hmm. reunite them. And if not, because I know a lot of dogs some one of my really good friends is into dog and cat rescue and she said that they bring animals from texas or other states into colorado all the time to try to get rehomed right they go through this almost a halfway house if you will while they try to find adoptions right. for them do you guys go into that part of it like what do you do with the animals once you get them rescued we are not a sheltering agency um we'll work with whoever is sheltering obviously if we're we're doing the technical rescue we're going out into the water, out into the fire, um, out into the, the debris fields to find these animals. You know, we found dogs in cars where the car was picked up by the tornado and spun around uh, and then dropped somewhere else, or an, an animal that may be trapped in a collapsed building. Um, we go and do the technical rescue. We bring those out to whoever is, whichever organization or the local people who may be sheltering in place there um, and it's not our necessarily our job to rehome them. They will then move on to kind of a next process where they are uh, either moved out to another state. For example, in, in Hurricane Katrina, they had so many animals moved out of Louisiana that uh, they were lost forever. You know, they, they got new homes, but... So Louisiana said, you will not take our animals out of the state um, because 
there was no chance for the owners to reclaim them. Yes. You know, my, my uh, kids actually adopted a dog from Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. That dog did. is still alive today and has been the center of that, of, of those kids' world. But like you just said, that dog at a puppy at the time could have been the center of someone else's world and never had a chance to get adopted. I'd never thought about that. H- have you had the experience of watching the reuniting of either a large or small animal with yes. their owners after that? And I mean, you smile, it just makes you beam it, even when I ask the question. Because it does, it makes up for every door ever slammed in my face as an officer. To reunite somebody, um, we had a gentleman that uh, his, he called and he said, my cat's in the house, it's East Grand Forks, Minnesota. The wall of water came, the Red River came over the whole town. And um, he called and said, I, I, I think I need, to, I haven't seen my cat in six days and I haven't been back to my house. They've just recently let us, they won't let us back into the town. So we went in and when we got there, I saw the cat sitting in the window. He was pissed. His father had not been home in six days. Yes. So I dropped uh, one, of our, one of our volunteers, I dropped one of our team leaders through a, a basement window because it's all flooded. And he went through the water, came up the stairs, opened the door, let me in. I captured the cat and I, I, I put the cat in a, in a transport cage and we went back to where the animals were being housed at the shelter. And I called the gentleman and I said, you need to come down here now. And he said, is my cat, is my cat okay? I said, you need to come down here now. So he came down, he was there in about five minutes. And he said, is he still alive? I said, yes, and he's pissed. <laughs> and I opened the carrier, and this cat jumped out of the carrier onto the man's chest and became a barnacle. Oh, he my He just barnacled goodness. himself, and the man's smile, through his tears, he is just smiling. And it makes up for everything. That is incredible. Have you heard that story like, or seen that story like a hundred times? With I've seen it many, many times. That yeah. is so amazing. Or the gentleman that's that's sitting on his what's left of his front porch in a flood and has got his arm around his dog. He's lost everything, but he's got the dog. Wow. What is it that people can do? Because I know this has moved me. I'm like, wow, this is incredible because I'm a huge animal guy, right? Three dogs. We've, we've talked about all this. If people want to get involved, what could they do? How could they connect with you? How could they learn more? How could they volunteer, donate? What would be the best way for them to reach you? Well, probably go to the website and, and kind of read through and see what we do and what the different areas are. Everybody, I, I spoke to an elderly woman one time, and she said, I would love to volunteer. And I said, you can. And she said, I'm too old. I can't get around very well. I said, can you answer a phone and talk to people? And she said, yes. And I said, you can volunteer. There are people at, at emergency shelters that are set up. Um, there's paperwork to be done, intake, where did the animal come from, where was it found, is it chipped, all that. We want to get it back to the owner, but sometimes the owners can't take them at that point. We also have people um, who have turned in animals that are theirs um, just because they don't have to go to the shelter and they know that, that the animals in a disaster are held for longer. I see. And, you know, it makes you want to just get a little angry with them. Absolutely. They're giving up their animal. Yes. But. So what it, can you give the name of the website for folks? It's it's www.code3, and it's the number three, um, associates.org. 
And when I was typing, even when I typed in code three with the number, associates popped up. So yeah. if you're typing it in, code three associates is the official, but you can get there with code three. So I have one more question. I asked this to all my guests and I can't wait for your answer. If you had one piece of advice that you were given that helped you create all this wonderful stuff that you were doing that you could feel was a centerpiece of your growth and in, in your life philosophy or something you've learned along the way that one piece of advice that now you would share with the audience, what would that be? Well, I have two. Oh, excellent. Double the advice. I love it. <laughs> Follow your dreams and nothing's impossible. Follow your dreams and nothing's impossible. Well, you are a living example of that, <laughs> Nan. And I'm telling you, you have filled my cup up. I'm just so grateful that's that right you we can down. clean up the mess after you after you spill the cup <laughs> yeah we'll do that we'll do that and i look forward to spending more time with you uh getting involved and just watching you guys continue to grow and succeed so please uh, know that you have a friend in ramos law and we're looking forward to uh, watching the great work that you do thank you very much thank you for having me here today absolutely my pleasure